very much. Um, is this working? At Trinity uh, in Aberdeen, we never project anything. We don't use a projector. Sunday by Sunday, you come in the door, you get given a piece of paper. We are totally old school. And everybody says, why do we not project? And I say, I say it, it never works. You know, they say, no, it will work. It, you get the technology, everything works. I say, it never works. Uh, so I feel really vindicated uh, being here. <laughs> Although uh, the photocopier at church broke yesterday, so while I'm away on Sunday, the order of service doesn't work. Uh, everybody's going to turn up and get handed out loose leaves of paper on Sunday. So, um, Okay. Like what, 10 minutes? So it's because you're not. What, what's restarting that? Oh, the projector. Okay. So, what I've, what I've done for um, this weekend, I've called this weekend, uh, there is a lovely picture. It's meant to be up there, it'll come in any second. Uh, I've called this weekend the Tree of Life and the Book of Death. The Tree of Life and the Book of Death. You can. Oh. Right, so that, I thought that was meant to be presenter view. You're meant to see the nice picture, not the other slides at the bottom. What's that doing now? Oh, you cheat, you're cheating. You're, you're <laughs> going to get... How do I... Do anyone... David, do you know how I get this off slide? See why I never do this? <laughs> so it's a thing called, it's not PowerPoint, it's Canva. It doesn't, uh, to be honest, like that doesn't matter. Is that okay? Aye, that's all right. That's right, it's a bit intriguing. You're gonna, you look at the bottom, you'll wonder what's next. And what do I need to do to move it on? Do I just click that one? I need to touch each one. Okay. Okay. Did any of you catch that? Look. One of 45. It's going to be. That's, that's, it's going to be a long. It's going to be a long weekend. Like, um, yeah, I, I never do this, as you can tell. I, I don't. I. I never project anything, don't present anything, but you're all young and trendy, and I thought I'd try and do something different and give you some... I've, I've even got videos to show you tomorrow. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. The, the, these two things, the tree of life and the book of death, they're, they're in stark contrast, aren't they? Um, <clears throat> the, re the reason I've called this the tree of life is because you know you have the tree of life at the start of the Bible, the book of Genesis, the tree that... Uh, is there in the center of the garden given to Adam and Eve. And the tree of life appears again at the end of the Bible, doesn't it? It comes in the book of Revelation where at the very end, in the new creation, the, the, uh, Revelation 21 and 22, the tree of life has actually become a, a, a whole mangrove of trees. It's, it's, it's spawned other trees. It's become a, 
a forest of life. You've got this incredibly beautiful idea at the beginning of the Bible and the end of the Bible, but the tree of life makes an appearance in the middle of the Bible as well. That there is something between the start of the world and the end of the world when everything was perfect and one day everything will be perfect. In between those two things, there is a way to get the tree. Now, if, if you had to pick, where would you go in the Bible to get the tree? Or what does, it, what does it mean to reach out and take from the tree of life? Most of us, I think, would probably, hopefully, we'd say something about the Lord Jesus. Some of us would say, uh, you need to understand justification by faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, we, we would tend to reach, wouldn't we, for the, for the best that God has for us, we would reach for some of the big doctrines of the Christian faith. But where does the tree of life make an appearance? Three times in the book of Proverbs. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Listen to this. She is a tree of life. Wisdom. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that if you want to reach out and take from that tree and ha have the very best that God has for you, have wisdom, that, that is what it means to eat from the tree of life. If you get the, the teaching of the Bible's wisdom literature, it is like taking the very best that God has for you. And it's an amazing thing. I saw on Twitter this morning, getting ready to, to fly over here, I saw Dane Ortland. Is it Dane Ortland who's written Gentle and Lonely? Yeah. So look at that. Dane Ortland, who's written that book, tweeted this morning that he thinks the wisdom literature, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Proverbs, those four books are the most neglected books in the Christian church. Maybe your church is different. Maybe you're always hearing sermons on those on those books, but I, I think he's on to something, isn't he? They are the most neglected books, and yet, amazingly, it is the very place that God says his tree of life is found in getting wisdom. So we're going to think about wisdom. I'm gonna think about wisdom with you this evening, and I'll show you this in just a second, but we're also gonna look at Ecclesiastes in particular this weekend. That's what the main focus from tomorrow onwards is going to be. And Ecclesiastes is all about death, if you've ever read it from start to end, if you haven't been depressed at the end of it, you maybe haven't read it closely enough. Um, from, from start to end, the message of Ecclesiastes is you're going to die. And when you die, a hundred years from now, nobody will know you were even here. Happy life. That, that's the message of Ecclesiastes, and it, it is a brilliant message. But to get our head around it, we need help, don't we? That's the point of this weekend, to try and get us into it. And to, to think about death properly, to think about death rightly, to think about death wisely. I want to say to you, friends, you're all young. To think about death wisely will be a tree of life to you. If you want to understand life and get the best of life that God has for you, think about death in the book of Ecclesiastes. So here's what we're going to do this weekend.
Here's five sessions. We're going to do wisdom this evening, just a gentle introduction to this type of literature in the Bible. Um, then we're going to do tomorrow morning, we're going to do perspective. And in that session, I'm going to give you the whole book of Ecclesiastes in one session. Okay? So first thing Saturday morning, all the guests and visitors, Dave, people are here, everybody's fresh. We're going to do the whole book in one session. I'm going to attempt it, okay? And then we're going to think about three big themes in the book of Ecclesiastes, time, death, and life. Okay, that's, that's where we're going to go. It's how we're going, going to do things. Uh, tomorrow morning, perspective is jumping around a little bit, trying to take in the whole thing. And then time, death, and life, we're going to work our way through some passages, uh, some passages in particular. But it's Friday night. You want a story, don't you? That's why you came all the way here for stories. Let me give you a beautiful story to begin the weekend. Once upon a time, there was a wonderful king who ruled the most magnificent kingdom. And the king's name was Lothar, King Lothar. He was wise, he was good, he was just, he was upright. And he ruled his kingdom perfectly. Everybody loved King Lothar. King Lothar had a queen. Her name was, of course, Emma, always. No, no one cares about Emma. Um, <laughs> and Lothar and Emma had three sons, Alexander, Julius, and Joseph. Alexander was the oldest son. He was handsome. He knew that he was handsome. Alexander often could be found having sneaked into the throne room, sitting on the throne, placing his father's crown on his head, looking in the mirror, wondering what it would be like to be king one day. Julius, the second son, wasn't particularly handsome, but he was strong and brave. Never bothered with the mirror, he was out training for war and for battle. Whenever there was conflict around the edges of the kingdom, Julius would command the king's men into war, fight and win every time. The youngest son, Joseph, Joseph was neither handsome nor particularly brave. Joseph preferred to stay at home with the people of the kingdom. Preferred, uh, he, he preferred to, to shepherd the kingdom's animals and to be among the kingdom's people. Now, King Lothar, coming to the end of his life, had a dilemma. When I die, which son should receive the crown? It wasn't custom that the eldest got the crown. It was up to the king which son would have the crown. And so King Lothar wondered, what should he do? How should he hand on the, the kingdom? How should he hand on the crown? He called in his most trusted advisors, and as they, as they talked, they came up with a brilliant idea. They came up with a plan. King, King Lothar summoned the whole city together on one particular occasion. Everybody gathered, and in the courtyard, King Lothar addressed his kingdom. He said, I have decided that each of my sons is going to engage in a competition. I'm going to ask all my boys to leave the kingdom, to travel throughout the earth, wherever they want to go, and each one to bring back a creature most fit for a king. The son who returns with the creature most befitting for a king will receive the crown of the kingdom. Okay, so remember what I've told you about all three boys. Off they go into the world, and the people wait. They wonder what on earth they're each going to come back with. And eventually, after six months, Alexander returns. And he returns to uh, rapturous applause. People are delighted to have him back. He arrives into the city with uh, some sort of crate under a golden 
a golden cloth. And this crate is brought in, the crowds gather, the whole kingdom gathers around, and to people's amazement, Alexander whip, whips off the golden cloth over this crate. What's inside the crate? A peacock, exactly, exactly. Alexander brings the most stunning, magnificent peacock that people have ever seen. He opens the crate door, the peacock comes out, walks around the courtyard, people are stunned, and then the peacock fans his tail People gasp in amazement. The women faint in wonder. <laughs> peacock is astonishing. And Alexander says, with this stunning creature at my side, I have chosen the creature most befitting a king. With this creature at my side, I will be the most beautiful, glorious king the kingdom has ever seen. People think, surely Alexander's going to get the crown. No, says King Lothar and Queen Emma. We must wait, wait for the other boys. Six months later, Julius returns. Also with a crate, also with a golden cloth over the crate, the people gather in awe and wonder and amazement, he carries the crate into the middle of the courtyard and pulls off the golden cape to reveal a lion. That's as easy for you guys, isn't it? A lion opens the crate door, the lion comes out, prowls around, people gasp in wonder, eats the peacock. <laughs> the, the women faint in wonder and amazement again. And Julius says, there is not only this line, of course, with this creature at my side, my kingdom will represent strength and power. We will have no enemies. We will brook no rivals. I will be king. And this creature is most fit for a king. Six months later, Joseph returns. And Joseph walks into the courtyard, bringing his creature with him to the wonder and amazement of the people as they gather. This time, no crate, no, no golden drape. Joseph says, I have not traveled the world like my brothers. I simply went over the hill to the next village. And here is the creature I have brought back, most fitting for a king. Who's going to say it? A lamb, a sheep? A lamb, a sheep, is that it? Sorry? A calf? A calf? A calf? <laughs> I haven't heard that for nearly 30 years. That's brilliant. A calf. Lamb, sheep, calf. Anything else? A bride. A bride. Joseph comes back with who? A woman. A woman. Holding this young woman by the hand. And Joseph says, This young woman at my side, her name is what? Sophia. The Greek word for wisdom. And Joseph says, I haven't traveled the earth. This is Sophia, who I've got to know over the years, young shepherd girl from over the hill. I simply went to visit Sophia and to ask her to be my wife. With this woman at my side, my reign will be wise. It will be just. It will be beautiful. It will be strong. It will be true. And of course, who wins the crown? It has to be Joseph, doesn't it? Something deep within you as you heard that, as soon as you hear the, the idea that the woman wins, something is just clicks, doesn't it, inside you? You just think, that's right. Now, it, I didn't know this till um, driving in the car here. Ben told me the gender balance of the weekend, okay? So, women, what, what an amazingly beautiful picture 
that you've just been given. Wh what is wisdom, how is wisdom gendered in that passage that Ben read for us and that, uh, that, 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 that we're going to look at? What is wisdom called in the book of Proverbs? A woman. Wisdom is a woman. Listen to this. Proverbs chapter 4, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize, notice not it, prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Wisdom is a woman. Now, there's, there's an awful lot you could say here about the fact that wisdom is gendered like this, r right down to the simple, basic, basically obvious, uh, simple points. In our, in our family, in our marriage, that, um, I, I, Angela would say very, very definitely, I think the way that we work, it's a very clear understanding in our home that I am the head of the home. And by head of the home, that doesn't mean I make the ultimate decisions. It doesn't mean I... Um, you know, we're trying to choose a sofa and we're standing there looking at it and I say, well, I'm the head, I get to choose. That's not what headship means. Headship, headship doesn't mean you get, you get to cast the deciding vote. Headship means you get to carry the can. It means you take responsibility for the sofa that your wife chose. You're standing in the shop, you say to her, no, you choose. You take the sofa that she chose home and when you get home, she says, oh, I don't really like it. You, 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 headship means you don't say it's your fault. She chose it. I'm responsible for it. Headship means you take responsibility for everything. Now, even within that world of headship and responsibility like that, our marriage, it is blatantly obvious anybody who knows us and to our children, Angela is the one with the wisdom. Angela is the one who often just says to me, look, just calm down. Don't do that. Do this instead. Take this path do this, go here. There is a reason why I think wisdom is gendered like that. There is something in the fact that women know how to navigate the world in a particular way that men often don't. I think, I think you get that at the end of the book of Proverbs, don't you, with the famous description of what we talk about, Proverbs 31 wife, uh, the, the, the description of this woman of noble character. Have you ever noticed that that is a woman speaking about another woman? It's not King Solomon saying, here's the ideal woman. It is King Lemuel's mother saying to him, listen, son, I understand women. Women to woman, this is what you should be looking for. It's, it's why in, in real life, often it is the mothers and their daughters-in-law daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law. That relationship is more complicated, isn't it, often than any other relationship? Well, women have a way of sizing each other up and sizing people up and, and knowing what will work well in the world, while most men are just like, you know, happily wandering through the day, you, using their full range of emotions, happy, sad, hungry, tired. And women have all the complexity, don't they? All the, all the nuance, all the understanding of angles. But it's not just that, okay? It's not simply a gendered thing. One of the main things going on with this idea that wisdom is a woman, that the main way that this fits into the whole Bible is that wisdom is something outside you. Wisdom is not innate to you. You, you, you need something and someone outside you to tell you how the world works. 
Okay? That, that's the point of personifying wisdom. It, 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 the, the book of Proverbs, I think, is a boy's book. It's a father speaking to his son. And he's speaking to his son saying, look, you, there's two things you need to avoid in life. You need to avoid easy money. Okay, some of that's there in chapter one that Ben, ben read for us. The, the people who want to tempt you off to one side. Look, come and lie in wait with us. Let's make a killing, a literal killing. Get some money, get rich. You need to avoid easy money in life. And you need to avoid easy sex. That, that there is an adulterous woman in the book of Proverbs who's enticing the son and, and, and offering him things that she has no right to offer him. And it's a path of death. The book of Proverbs is, is a book for boys that women get to listen in on. Uh, and conversely, I think Song of Songs actually, although it's the book that all men want to read as they're growing up, actually it's a book for women. Song of Songs is a bride saying to her bridesmaids, don't awaken love before the time is right. Just wait. Wait, women, you need to handle this very, very carefully. Just wait. And men get to listen to one woman speaking to another woman. This idea in, in Proverbs that wi wi wisdom is a woman, wisdom is somebody out, outside us, that the point of it is that left to our own devices, we will go wrong. L left to myself, I will take the wrong path through life. And of course, when you put Proverbs into the flow of the whole Bible, what you have is the, the ultimate wise person who comes. So Solomon is the wise king, somebody outside the Israelite who tells the Israelite how to live well in the world. And ultimately, of course, the Lord Jesus comes, doesn't he? What does Jesus say? One greater than Solomon is here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. We, we need somebody outside us to tell us how the world works. And that's what these books do. Proverbs, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Job. They, they are God saying to you and me, you, you cannot go it alone. I want you to listen to the voice of Christ in these books showing you how to live well. Just, just read this quote here. <clears throat> listen to this. I'm going to give you lots of these throughout the weekend. Um, listen to Derek Kidner. He said this. This might seem strange, but I'll try and explain it. He said this. There are details of character, okay, your character, my character, that are small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets. Okay, so in other words, what he's saying is take, take all, all the law, think of all the laws that God gives in the first five books, uh, the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus, all the laws about the tabernacle, read the Deuteronomy, Leviticus from cover to cover, there is so much instruction about what to do, what to eat, what not to do, where to go, okay? T take all of, those, all of those laws and lay across them the broadsides of the prophets. What do the prophets do? They simply say to the people of Israel, come back to the law. Okay, you've, God gave you the law, you've wandered off to false gods, now come back to the law. And they're, they're broadsides, they're shouting at the people, they're, they're strong commands, aren't they? Derek Kidner says, take those two things, lay them over each other, okay, you've got a mesh. Surely that's all God has to say to his people. Surely, that, surely that's everything. The law is so deta detailed. The, the prophet's voice is so strong. Surely there's nothing else. And Derek Kidner says, no, look, there, there are details of your character and my character that, that, like a sieve, fall through that mesh, that escape it. And those things that fall through are decisive in personal dealings. Proverbs asks, 
what is a person like to live with, to employ? How does he manage his affairs, his time, himself? It's a really beautiful idea. You, you need the book of Proverbs if you want to make it in life. That the law and the prophets are not enough. You need the book of Ecclesiastes if you want to make it in life. And he, the, the way that Derek Kidner puts it there, what is a person like to live with, to employ? How does he manage his affairs, his time, himself? Ecclesiastes says, what is a person like when they think about death? How does a Christian die well? How does a Christian live well in the light of their coming death? That's what the wisdom literature gives you. That's what the wisdom literature does. Let, let me just try and do this really quickly this evening from the book of Proverbs. I want to give you a taster for why wisdom is such a beautiful thing for us to be looking at. Tell me when I need to be quiet, Ben. What time do we go on to? Eleven? Around half nine? Fine. So you can wave at me and tell me, shut up. Let, let, let me just give you three things this evening, okay? Three things about wisdom, okay? What, what, what does it mean to get wise? Is this working, the projection up here? Yeah? Yeah. Still not going to do it when I get home. This is the only time ever in life. Three things. Enjoy how wisdom works. Receive what wisdom gives. And see who wisdom helps. I want to do this all from the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. Okay, well, I want, to do, I want to do the second and third from the first seven verses of Proverbs chapter 1. Look, look how it works. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. I, I want you to come away from this weekend loving the fact that the wisdom literature is so different from anything else in the Bible. Okay? So I want you to enjoy how wisdom works. It's why tomorrow we're going to have two videos, okay? Eric Cantona is going to make an appearance uh, tomorrow. I got the gender wrong, didn't I, for the weekend? Um, Eric Cantona is going to be there and something else because th th this material is just different. This is not Romans. This is not Ephesians. This is not even uh, a gospel. That the wisdom literature works differently. Uh, ju just have a look at a couple of the Proverbs. Look at, look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20, 26. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Okay? Isn't that, isn't that an amazing, amazing thing to say? Imagine the lazy person being sent by his boss to do a job. Okay? When, when a boss sends a lazy person to do a job, uh, the, the, the effect of that on the boss okay, is like your teeth being set on edge. That's the point of the vinegar to the teeth. We might say today, if we were writing it, sending the laziest person in the company to do a job, it, it feels like scratching your nails down a blackboard. Okay? You know that just eesh kind of feeling? If you are lazy friends, if you have a job, and you are lazy, and you know you're lazy, and your boss asks you to do something, you are a walking nail screech down a blackboard. Okay? That, that, that's, that's the point of the image, isn't it? That, that's exactly what it's saying. If you're lazy at your job, you should know that's how your boss 
feels about you when they meet you in the corridor on your way to the coffee machine again. <laughs> look, look, look at Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15. One of my favorite proverbs. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Now, see, you, you could have a law, couldn't you, that said, do not be lazy. Or you could have a command that says, wives, do not be quarrelsome. Okay? But instead, Proverbs says, have you ever had that? You've been away somewhere for a weekend, you've gone to Castlewell and Castle, and you've got the worst room in the building, and all through the night you just hear, and it's above your head, and you can't do anything about it. You're trapped, just constantly dripping above your head. Th that is what a woman like this does to you you imagine having that kind of effect on somebody? The, 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 the wisdom literature paints pictures. That, the, the, the best way to, to describe it is that it, it's going to paint pictures for you this weekend from the book of Ecclesiastes about life. In, and the pictures are going to shock you. And they're going, they're going to delight you. They're going to amaze you. And it, the wisdom literature says just climb up inside those pictures and think about them for a while. This is very different from anything else in the Bible. Uh, ju just look at one more. This is, again, one of my favorites. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 17. <laughs> Excuse me. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 17. <clears throat> I, think, I think this is one of my favorite. You need to have been in church work for long enough to understand what this is. This, uh, this is, whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, you and I think pass dog, we've got all our little, you know, fluffy things, whatever. Uh, we have a cocker spaniel at home, and her, her ears are the best thing about a cocker spaniel, if you know them. Uh, we're always grabbing her by her ears. They're soft, they're long, they're beautiful. But, of course, in Bible day, you didn't have pets like that, did you? Your, your passing dog was... You know, a, a mastiff, a, um, it was a wild animal. There, there are parents who bring dogs to the school gate and the dog is muzzled and on a lead and even then you say to your children, do not touch, do not touch that dog. Do not touch a strange dog. You don't go near it. And Proverbs says some, so, some people end up badly mauled because they've got involved in something that is not their own business. Part, the path of wisdom is to watch two people fighting and to know when to step in and to know when you say you're on your own. Because people get hurt in the quarrel and people can get badly hurt coming in from the outside into that quarrel. Now just, just flick forward to the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay. In your Bible reading, don't separate Ecclesiastes from Proverbs. Ecclesiastes follows straight on from it, and it, it is part of the wisdom literature. You don't get Proverbs. You, you do get some Proverbs in it, but you still get beautiful things to enjoy. Look at verse 4. 
Proverbs chapter 1, verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes round to the north, round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. Now, we're going we're to come back to this later on, but I want to simply say to you this evening, when you're reading the Bible and like this, enjoy it. Do you see what's happening there? Isn't it, isn't it lyrical ebb and flow? to match the content of the words. The sun rises and goes down. The wind blows to the, so the south, goes round to the north, round and round. You, you've got this amazing poetic match between content and form. That the, the words are actually doing what the, uh, what the content is describing. Look at chapter 3. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to plunk, pluck up what is planted. Beautiful poetry. Look at chapter 7. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in this one. Uh, it's really a proverb, isn't it? Chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. Okay? So there's no point smelling and looking beautiful if when you walk into a room, people recoil from you because of your reputation, because of your character. If you have a good character, if you're in good standing with people, that, that is more precious than a beautiful smell. It's a, it's a lovely image, we, and we get it, we understand it, don't we? And then, here's the book of death, the smack between the eyes, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Wow. The day of death is better. It literally says that, doesn't it? Is better than the day of birth. I, I'm going to suggest to you tomorrow that is written, that could have been written by any godly Christian you know. That is not an ungodly, atheistic, materialistic person speaking. This is either Solomon, I'm not, I'm not sure who wrote Ecclesiastes, it's either Solomon or somebody like Solomon who loves the God of Israel who loves the same God that you and I love and this is what they have to say to you I want you to go home this weekend you get home your friends say to you what did you learn this weekend I learnt and I love that it's true that the day of death is better than the day of birth okay so it's that last bit you're thinking no 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 that's impossible I want you to love that that's true by the end of the week. And that's the first thing. Enjoy how wisdom works. Come back, come back to uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Let me just show you really quickly. Let me just show you these other things. Receive what wisdom gives. Okay? And you can see what wisdom gives by all the, all the words that are used in those opening verses. Okay? It literally says that in verse 2. To, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight... Okay, here's what the wisdom literature does, verse 3. It, it gives you instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. It gives prudence. Okay, so there's a lot of things that wisdom gives you. Wisdom gives you instruction. Wisdom gives you teaching. If you are the kind of person who cannot be instructed, if you're the kind of person who knows it already, th then you cannot ever be wise but you need to have a teachable, humble spirit, okay? Wisdom will give you instruction. Wisdom will teach you how to live. And it all comes from verse 7, doesn't it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Here's how one commentator put it. The commentator said, the fear of the Lord is the affectionate reverence of the child who humbly bends himself to his father's law. And that's what the fear of the Lord is. It is the, the affectionate reverence of the child who humbly bends himself to his father's law. And in my home, I have 15-year-old, 13-year-old, 10-year-old, and tomorrow, a nine-year-old. I'm missing my nine-year-old daughter's birthday tomorrow to be here with you. Um, my wife said, how is that possible that you're doing that on her birthday? And I said, I, I don't know. I booked this three years ago. And she said, she's nine. She's always been having her birthday on the 4th of June. So it didn't go down well. Nine, 10, 13, 15. Which of my two, which two of my four children are least likely to receive their father's instruction? The eldest two, 15 and 13. I'm literally in front of my eyes watching them go from adoring me to rolling their eyes at me to yeah, 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 whatever, dad. It's what happens, isn't it? The, bigger, the older you get, the more you know it all. And the biggest problem at the minute we've got with our 15-year-old is telling him to put his bike helmet on. Put your bike helmet... No, 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 Dad, I don't need my bike helmet. No one wears a bike. It's not cool to wear a bike helmet. And here I am now, swapping roles with my parents, turning into my mum and dad, telling him, put your helmet on. And it's what happens, isn't it, as you get older, you just think, I don't need instruction. Receive what wisdom gives, friends. Receive instruction. Look at verse 2. Receive insight. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. Now, uh, wi wisdom gives you insight. Insight is the ability not simply to hear something, but to perceive something. Okay, it's the ability not just to hear something, but to perceive something. Not, not just to listen, but to understand something. To understand how it works. Uh, insight is when you can read between the lines and, and understand what's going on. You know, sometimes people say, you ask a question, w what's the question beneath the question? That that's insight, being able to gauge that and perceive that. I have a really good friend, my best friend, who uh, was kicked out of school at 15 or 16. He, did, he got three GCSEs, I think. Um, wasn't allowed to do any more, even if he'd wanted to. He worked in a call center. Um, no, no academic qualifications to his name at, at all, okay? And if, if this friend of mine was here with you this evening and had coffee with you afterwards, he, he, he would be able to tell me what you're really like. He, he, has, in, he has insight. He can size people up uh, in no time. That's not quite the biblical kind of insight. That's a kind of personality knack. But there, there, is, there is this level of perception of the world that wisdom can give you. Wisdom can give you not just knowledge, not just information, but it can give you insight into things. Wisdom gives you instruction. It gives you insight. Verse 4, look, wisdom gives you prudence. Wisdom can make you prudent. Prudence doesn't mean prudish. Proverbs, if you keep reading the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is anything but prudish, isn't it? You get to chapters 5 and 7. Uh, prudent doesn't mean tight-fisted. Here's what I think prudence is. Prudence is 
cool-headed, careful consideration of a situation before you rush in. Cool-headed, careful consideration of something before you rush in. Wisdom can make you calm. Wisdom can make you weigh things up and know the right course of action. Wisdom can give you actions that are right and just and fair. Do you see that in verse 3? Wouldn't you love to be that person in, in verse 3? You deal with things wisely. What you do is righteous. What you do is just. And what you do is fair. I think the most perfect illustration of that is Solomon, isn't it? Remember the women come in squabbling over the baby and, you know, Solomon says, right, get the sword out, chop the baby in half. And he, he, he knows that it's the woman who, it's really her child. She'll be the one that says, don't do this. You, you, you can have the child. W wisdom is knowing what the right thing to do is in, in any particular situation. And to top it all off, verse 4, wisdom will give you discretion. Wisdom will give you discretion. Uh, discretion, I think, is a kind of caginess that you, you add to your arsenal of tools for going through life. Uh, caginess is a, a world of private thinking that you, you, re you retain complete control of. You don't need to share. You, you're able to hold your counsel, not, not say more than, you're, more than you're meant to. You're able to be close to the right people and to intentionally keep your distance from the wrong people. Isn't it beautiful? I think it's a missing toolkit in our churches, isn't it? We talk about godliness. We talk about sharing our faith. We talk about purity. We often cast the moral life of the Christian in uh, ethical, sexual terms, don't we? Particularly in our generation. But there is so much more to the life that God has for you. It has all of, all of these things are part of it. So, Enjoy how wisdom works. Receive what wisdom gives. Let, let's finish with this. There are three categories of people here that, that wisdom helps, all in, these, uh, all in these first verses. And this is perfect for you guys this weekend. Uh, there is the young, verse 4, the youth. There is the simple. And then there is the wise, uh, verse 5. So to, to take them in order, to give prudence to the simple. Now, we, we, unfortunately, in English, use simple in a bad way, don't we? We talk about somebody being a bit simple. Um, it's a terrible euphemism for being a bit dim or uh, mentally impaired or something like that. No, that in the Bible, the, the simple person is the gullible person. It's the naive person. It's the un, unformed person. What one commentator put it brilliantly, they said the simple person is like a big ball of clay that has not yet been pressed or fixed into a definite mold. And some of, all of you are young, and some of you are young and simple. Not all of you are young and simple, but some of you are simple in that you're not, you, you don't yet know who you are. You haven't been formed and shaped and, and, and refined. So the, the, the simple person is your five-year-old daughter who's best friend has been nasty to her at school and she comes home and says, I'm never going to speak to her again. That's it. We're, we're done. We're finished. That, that is simple. It's unformed. It's, it, it's, a, it's a person who doesn't know what the right way to respond to that is. It's, it's your, your son who someone's been nasty to him and he's going to knock his block off. He's going to use his fists to respond. Simple person is the 30-year-old the bored housewife. And she knows she would be easily seduced and led. She'd be led astray quite willingly if the right person came along. She hasn't been formed or shaped yet into a responsible thinking Christian worldview. 
Each one of those people are unwise. They're, they need wisdom. They're naive. They're gullible. Then there is the youth. I keep saying that. I hope you feel good, me calling you all young. You all, you all look very young to me. Uh, people who, who are standing on the threshold of the adult world, on, on the cusp of full maturity. And Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, is saying to you, you, you were not born wise. You were not born wise. You need help with it. Uh, you need it from outside of you. And then lastly, not just the simple, not just the young, but the gray-haired, the gray that, that person in church who you go to when you've got a problem, maybe it's literally in your family, your grandpa, your grandmother, the wise. You, you never arrive in God's kingdom, do you? Let the wise hear and increase in learning. So it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Enjoy how it works, receive what wisdom gives, and see who wisdom helps. Wisdom can help all of us, each of us. Here's the last slide for you. This is a little taster for the weekend. This is um, one of my lectures at Nottingham University when I was an undergraduate. He said this, wisdom literature wounds from behind. So you know you're walking down a road and from nowhere you get a sucker punch um, in your back, the wind knocked right out of your back. Uh, you get hit from behind. That's what, that, that's what wisdom literature is going to do and particularly the book of Ecclesiastes, it's going to be an unexpected blow from behind you to surprise you, to make you turn around and see who's there. Look at that, 9.31. Should I pray? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for bringing each of us here this weekend. It is no accident that we're here uh, every single part of our lives is in your hands. Uh, we acknowledge you as Lord, as King, as Creator, the, the one who made a good world that has all the same gone so badly wrong. And we are the ones who have ruined it. We have wrecked your perfect world in our rebellion, in our foolishness. And so together, Heavenly Father, in all your love and gracious goodness, would you make us wise this weekend, wise for salvation through the scriptures, wise for life as we put our hand in yours again, Lord Jesus, and follow your surprising path through this world. Make us like you, we pray, and as we receive all that you have to say to us so Cause us to love living in this broken world, to reflect you outwards to it, and to hold all that you say within our hearts until one day we see you and know you completely and perfectly. Keep us until that day, we pray. For we ask it in your precious name. Amen.